0: Welcome to A Bevy of Bloods, a fan podcast of the Sydney Swans Football Club. My name's Noddy, joined as always by Stevo, and in this episode number 12, we're going to talk about the game just played against the Dockers, a few general topics in the AFL and VFL, the game ahead against the Blues, and finish off with all of our tips for the rest of the round. So to all you signets and swanlings out there, fluff up your tail feathers and settle in for a potentially biased yarn about all things to do with our beloved Bloods. On Saturday the 22nd of May, in front of just over 29,000 people at Optus Stadium in Perth, the 6th-place Swans came up against the 10th-place Dockers. And after a solid first half, the Swans went completely AWOL during the third quarter. And even though we managed to peg our way back into the fourth, ultimately Fremantle's captain Nat Fife and his mongrel kick got the home side a very close victory, scoring 12-14-86 to Sydney's 13-6-84. Okay, Steve, first impressions, what did you think of that?
1: Uh, Yeah, it was a a bit of a a letdown in some ways, wasn't it? I mean, to paraphrase John Longmire after the game in his press conference, and we could have won, but we didn't. Um, You know, besides one terrible quarter where they totally outplayed us, we played pretty well for the other three, Um, and we won all of those quarters. We were a better team for those three quarters, I think. And, you know, Perth's always a tough away trip. The Western Australian teams play really, really well there. The crowd has a big, um, a big role in the, in the game there. And we probably should have been up by more at halftime. 15 points probably wasn't enough. We should have hoped to have been up by, you know, 20 plus, you know, even, even four or five goals or something. And also, I guess it probably wasn't the best time to get Fremantle. They'd come off, a, what, a run of three losses in a row. They're a decent team. Um, I don't think we should we should underestimate them as a good side. And they were at home and they needed a win and they got it. So, you know, good on.
0: Yeah, fair call, mate. My first impressions was that it was another close game in the wet versus the Dockers. Um, so it seems to be like we're building a pretty decent rivalry with these guys. So, you know, that, that's good, I think, for fans of AFL. They would have watched the game and thought it was a probably a decent game. Um, not so much for Swans fans who were chewing <laughs> their nails during the third quarter. But uh, yeah, as we've said, and we will say a couple more times throughout uh, this uh, podcast, we were good in the first, second, and fourth, and just went just completely dropped off the radar in the third. You know, we also need to say that you know Nat Fife and Rory Lobb had, in particular, those two guys had fantastic games. Um, but you know, we've spoken. I thought we felt a little bit short in the back line. Obviously, Lobb's a tall bloke, so that might have been one of the reasons, but we can dig into that a bit later on when we look at some stats and stuff. Yeah, The other thing is that Dockers still managed to score more behinds than goals, but they got the win. All right, so in terms of your key takeaways, Steve-O, what were they?
1: Um, I think it comes back a bit to what we were talking about last week with with how the ladder's looking and where teams are placed and And this just showed very clearly that there's a team of a group of teams that are currently ranked between about 6th and about 12th That are all roughly at the same level and so that's like that's us the Giants, West Coast, Richmond, Fremantle, Carlton um, And and probably a couple of others that are on the fringes of that like like West uh, Essendon, St Kilda Um All around about the same level and all aiming for those bottom three spots in the top eight. We played one of those teams away and we got close, but we didn't quite get there. One advantage we do have going forward is that we've banked a couple of wins against top four teams in Geelong and Brisbane, but we really can't afford to be dropping many more against this sort of six to 12 team if we want to stay in contention for the eight. That was my first sort of thing thinking about the game afterwards. And then I guess I think once the once the frustration of, of losing a, a tight game had um had gone away a little bit, I think there's a tendency to to maybe overreact to a loss like this. If you look at it um sort of, you know, from Uh, Maybe a bit of an outsider perspective, maybe, but at least without the the strong fan goggles on. Um, We lost by two points at one of the hardest places to win in the country. No other non-Western Australian team has won there this year. We played a decent side that's roughly in our sort of level that was really, really hungry for a win. We were the better team for three out of four quarters. Um, As we've talked before, young teams are going to struggle with consistency week to week and even within games. And, you know, we also put in one awful quarter against the Cats and the Pies, but we were lucky that it didn't cost us. And this week it did. So, you know, it wasn't a disaster, maybe more of a disappointment. And I think, I guess the other thing that adds on to this in terms of where we're at is, I think it's important to remember that in all but one of our losses against the Gold Coast, where we got done by 40 and just got blown off the park for a lot of the game, we've been in every game that we've lost with a chance to win in the final couple of minutes. So we've lost games by two points, nine points, and two points. And all three of those teams... Um, are teams that have got genuine finals claims and one of them is a team that's got genuine premiership claim which is Melbourne so I think we're looking pretty good notwithstanding a disappointing loss to Frio over there in Perth.
0: Yeah okay yeah that's they're good points mate Um, look for me I think you know obviously without Buddy who was on absolute fire just classic vintage Bud and I think we're going to talk about him later on as well we probably would have and could have been completely smashed blown off the park but you know as it was he's averaging 7 goals a game at Optus uh, i mean he's only played 2 games there but still he just he just sees it so sweetly there and, and you look he well he was just unreal to watch you know i think some of the commentators were saying maybe the swans should petition to play a few home games there and who knows look maybe <laughs> if there's a few more coronavirus hiccups maybe there's a WA hub this year you don't know you never know but maybe the swans end up being based in, in Perth and, and playing the rest of the season at Optus and and maybe, maybe Buddy reaches 1,000 goals this year. Who knows? We don't know. We'll, we'll talk about that later on. Look, for me, there were a few critical what-if moments in the fourth quarter by some young players that ha- had things gone our way and, and a few other decisions had been made, we very well could have stolen the victory. Um, and then as it were, um, uh, we, it wasn't the case. And, uh, you know, we obviously made out, we've very much made our own life harder by losing, you know, a winnable game. And so the position in the top eight, as you've already mentioned, is likely, or well, very likely to become more and more fragile over the coming weeks, especially if we don't improve. All right. So um, let me talk very quickly about the quarter-by-quarter quarter breakdown. Obviously, we've spoken about how the game was yeah, you know, a game where we were in it for one, two, and four, and then just completely went missing in the third. So let's have a look at that. In the first quarter, we scored four goals, zero behinds. Fremantle three goals, two behinds. So we won by four. Uh, and then in the second quarter, we scored four, five goals, three behinds to Fremantle's three goals, four behinds. So won that quarter by eleven points. And took a 15-point lead into half-time. Third quarter, zero goals, one behind to Sydney. And that was Dylan Stevens in the first minute. Uh, Unfortunate uh, not to get a goal there. But Fremantle scored four goals, five behinds. So they won that quarter by 28 points. uh, And then took a lead into the fourth quarter by 13 points. Uh, in the fourth quarter, we uh, you know, bounced back uh, quite well and we scored four goals, two behinds, two Fremantles, two goals, three behinds. So we won that quarter by 11 points, but ultimately we were defeated by two points. So that's how it played out on the scoreboard. In terms of stats, steve throw me some numbers, mate.
1: Uh, we've got a couple, actually, especially relating back to what you were talking about in that third quarter. Well, I mean, really, if they'd kicked better, they could have been up. They could have won that quarter by 40 points, couldn't they? If they'd be more clinical going forward. But um, yeah, 69 to 45 inside 50s, um, including 20 to 7 in the third quarter. That's 10 more than their average for the season and 10 less than ours. So when you've got that much ball coming in, it's very hard to stop a team from kicking a winning score. 69 inside 50s. And that's our second lowest inside 50 tally for the year um, after a very low 39 against Geelong, which we actually won the game. And, and then every other game has been 53 plus. So that was a big drop off for the Swans is the inside 50s. And then also talking about like getting the ball in, but also what we do when we're inside 50 is we only had six tackles inside 50 to 16 against Fremantle. For a bit of comparison last week against Collingwood, we had 29 and our season average is 13. So we are less than half our season average for tackles inside 50, which is another big drop off. And then the other thing, it's not really a number, well, not really a stat, but it's more related to a number, which I want to draw a bit of attention to, is um, is 22. So the AFL, every season at the end of the year, they announce this, you know, best players in the comp that are 22 years or younger. And to be eligible for that team, you need to still be 22 years of age when the season finishes, so on the day of the grand final. Um, and we've got eight players who are eligible for that team and one who is... Almost, but not quite. So Ollie Florent is a couple of months too old. His birthday's in July, so he's like two months too old. That's it, he almost qualifies. But of the other eight, we have McCartan who had 17 touches, did a pretty good job in the back line. Then Robottom, 15 possessions in that game, um, not his best day. Warner, 12 touches again, not up to some of the stand we've seen from him earlier in the year. Stevens, 10 possessions. Blakey eight. Wick, seven. Haywood five. McLean five. So that's a lot of those younger guys who have been getting quite a bit of spark out of that didn't really um didn't really contribute against the the Dockers. And um yeah, that was the final number that I had. I think you've got some more that add to that.
0: Yeah, I've got a couple to work through here, mate. So I'm going to start with scoring shots. Uh, You know, they had, we had 19 to their 26. Um, That notwithstanding, we were actually more accurate. We were 68% um, conversion rate. So that's our second best of the year after that, that win against Geelong, funnily enough, um, where we were 70%. Uh, And again, that number that we uh, talk about uh, most weeks where the percentage of inside 50s that turn into goals, how 30% is a great great mark for striving to be in the top four we actually had 29 percent of our inside 50s turn into goals so didn't have that many of them but we made sure that we turned them into goals uh, but that notwithstanding the weight of inside 50s as you've already said steve-o was just it was just beat us it was too much to to handle you know and and every swans fan w- would have been watching that third quarter going where the bloody hell are we you know and stats really reflect the reality of, of, of what we're seeing and and, and there's more stats that made for, for a very sad reading on top of the ones you've already mentioned, Steve's Disposals, we were minus 31 in, in differential. Marks, minus 8. Contested marks, minus 6. We had zero. Inside 50 tackles, minus minus seven zero uh, Clearances, minus 5. Hit-outs, minus 5. Inside 50s, minus 13, as you've already said. Intercept possessions, minus 5. The only things we managed to, to get uh, ahead of them in were tackles uh, so we had plus two, so 13 tackles to their 11, and centre clearances plus two, so we had three to their one. Um, but, you know, obviously it had no effect. You know, and then we had uh, our contested marks. We had six for the game, and they all took place in the fourth quarter, funnily enough. Uh, three of them, I think, were from Buddy. But um, in terms of contested marks, Brennan Cox, who who took five, completely stifled McLean's impact. He had a very good game. And as I mentioned earlier, Rory Lobb, um, Brilliant game, really, um, moving from ruck to forward, uh, scored four goals. Three of his goals were from uh, contested marks. You know, up until now, much much had been made of Frio's lopsided, you know, goals to behind count. And it actually continued for, for the game against the Swans. If we remove their loss to Melbourne in round one, um, in which they also kicked eight goals, 10 behinds, and the Adelaide win uh, in round five, where it was 12 goals, 12 behinds, then we're left with eight out of their 10 games that they played this year where the Dockers scored more behinds than goals. However, of those eight games, four were losses and all of those losses were played away and four of them were wins. And all of the wins were played at Optus Stadium, as you've already mentioned, Stevo. So uh, I think you had dug into that a bit deeper and, and you had another point to make there, didn't you, steve
1: yeah, just, I mean, a couple of weeks ago, I saw this headline saying like, Fremantle's poor kicking is costing his games. And I read through the, the article, I think it was on the AFL website. I can't remember. Maybe it was somewhere else. But so I did a little bit of look just at their um at their matches that they've lost just out of interest. And, and what I discovered actually was that certainly they're kicking terribly. Like they're kicking at 40%. They're the worst in the comp. Um, and per a point of reference, West Coast is the best in the comp. They're kicking it just on 60%. And that's the top of the league. Um, so, I went back to Fremantle's losses where they had kicked more behinds and they had kicked goals and I, I, I converted their scores as if they had kicked at 60%, which would be the competition leader rather than what they did in that game and they still only got ahead in the Essendon game, so so three of those four losses they had where they kicked poorly, they, they got beaten by enough that it actually wouldn't have made a difference um, to the end result. But then, but then, what that still shows is that they are kicking very badly, and it maybe it's only cost them four points so far. But if they keep doing it, it might cost them a lot more. So it's something that they really need to fix. Yeah.
0: Okay. Fair enough. Uh, but the Essendon game was quite close, wasn't it? it? Was seven points or something in the end? I think that was last week, the week before us, I think. But yeah. Oh well. Excellent investigation work there, Stevo. <laughs> no um, I, I, I certainly, I certainly appreciate your hard work. <laughs> All right, mate. Um favorite moments what were your favorite moments of the game
1: it was a bit of a weird game because even though we lost and it was a disappointing loss there was um there was a lot of highlights real worthy moments in the game um especially quite a few of our goals that looked very very nice so one that I'm going to pick up it was in the last quarter and and I think anyone who listens regularly knows that I'm a big fan of, of Will Haywood and Isaac Heaney the pair of them especially when they're when they're waxing in the forward line and there was a moment coming into the fourth quarter like three or four minutes into the start of the fourth quarter where we hadn't scored a goal since the before half time and it gave us a bit of a spark and kinda of picked us up. So I think the ball comes in, Hayward roves a ball, gets a quick handball out to Heaney. Heaney gives a quick one out to Parker, loops back around, gets it off Parker and kicks a very, very nicely balanced goal. That, um, that would be You know well at home on any highlights reel and and that was the moment that sort of got us back into the game and i think it gave the guys and then buddy went boom 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 after that and we were ahead but but that was kind of the spark for me so i really liked that moment and then and the other one that i've got for this week nothing to do with the actual play this happened at halftime there was a bit of a scuffle at um at halftime which i think we'll talk about a bit when we talk about the match review officer um, stuff and and Buddy got involved in a bit of a scuffle with Fife and and um and Ryan and a couple of others. And got his jumper torn right down the middle of his chest, so his his shirt was wide open. You could see all of his tats on the front part of his torso, and he's got this beautiful butterfly tattoo right in the centre of his chest. And and I love that because um a couple of a couple of good friends of mine. I'll say hi to them um, to Naja Cat and Leah. We've been talking about butterfly tattoos for quite some time, and I think Buddy has given us a beautiful example of if you want to get ink on your chest, get a beautiful butterfly right in the middle, and um. And yeah, thanks, buddy, for the inspiration. Fair play, mate. So you're going to be sporting a, a buddy,
0: a buddy butterfly uh,
1: sometime soon, Hey, yeah. Don't don't tell my mother. I hope Mum doesn't listen. I know I know Dad listens. I don't think Mum does, but Dad, if you're listening, don't tell Mum. But yeah, you, you might you, you might get a little buddy 23 butterfly motif somewhere around my person.
0: I'm sure both your mum and dad would love that deep down, mate. I know they're Bloods fans too, mate. So <laughs> they certainly all are. good. All good, mate. All right, for me, I had a couple. Uh, Obviously, the Chad uh, worked his way in there for me. Second quarter, 13 minutes left. Rampy kicked it uh, from the back wing. Heaney contests. Hickey deftly roves on on one leg uh, and does a nice little handball to Warner, who's running through. Warner puts the jets on and kicks long from about 55 to skid it through. Just a very exciting moment. Um, unfortunately, didn't have too much more impact in the game, which was a bit off um, on his form from recent weeks, but still a, a wonderful moment. Uh, my other favourite moment was the play lead in the Buddy's fifth goal. And the guy was, yes, yeah, unreal. We're going to talk about him in the next section. But yeah, just unreal to watch, really. you could have chosen any of his goals. But I'm, I'm looking at his fifth goal, particularly. it's in the fourth quarter, about 16 minutes left. We had a kick in play on by Lloyd. Kicks it to Rampy in the back pocket. Rampy kicks it to a contest. I think Mills was the one who brought it down. And uh, then Rowie sort of weaves in and out, uh, picks up the ball, handballs to Heaney, who handballs to Florent, who kicks further down the line to Buddy. Buddy does a nice pickup. And then basically, uh, I think he hand, yeah handballs to Joey, Josh Kennedy, who then gets it over to, back to Warner. And then Warner feeds it back to Buddy, who's offering great support, uh, good good stamina running through, and then basically just bombs it from 55 meters out, lands right on the goal line, and gets us back within two points. And it was just like, here we go. Here's Buddy. He does the big, you know, left-handed, or oh, I think right-handed fist pump. Yeah, come on, boys. And it was unreal. I just thought it was it was fantastic. Um so those two fantastic moments I'm just going to do a quick foil uh, you know a bit of a bit of a good bad uh, good sandwich although I've I've done, I've gone good good bad so what if moments I'm going to quickly touch on a, on two what if moments that I know a lot of swans fans uh were quite disappointed you know let's let's be real they were you know you know obviously gutted about uh and it was late in the fourth quarter and it was a couple of minutes left um you know, Dawson's spoil, his decision to spoil rather than take the mark. And then later on, Florence long-bomb to Papley, two on, run, two on one, rather than lowering his eyes and kicking the Hayward or Heaney, who were both free around the 40, 35, 40-metre 40 mark inside our own 50. All right, Stevo, tell me what you think. Were you as mad as, as most of the Swans fans out there, or do you have a position on both these moments or what?
1: Uh, I, I don't know about mad. I mean, you know, mistakes happen in footy and I think the Florent one was clearly a mistake. He, he took the wrong option. He should have, um, he should have looked inside and, and hit one of those two that you mentioned that was running on the goal. And maybe we've got a different outcome, but you know, he didn't, uh, and that can happen in the heat of the moment. You know, you think there's a couple of seconds left and you just get the blinkers on and think goal square, but yeah, certainly if he had it again, I'm certain he would not take that option. Um, The Dawson one's a bit tougher. I don't know. I think that one, because Dawson's coming across at a different angle to where the ball's coming from and also to where the Fremantle player is. And so he's got to make a very quick decision about the risk versus reward of taking a mark and not clunking it or fisting it across the line. So I I think I've got more, more, I guess, sympathy for Dawson's plight, especially given that it led to the match-winning goal, that throw-in. But, you know, at the end of the day, you're actually thinking then, you know, boundary is good because we can we can clog the ball up, try and get a clearance down the line, and get another stoppage, and and you know, suck some time. So yeah, the Dawson one, yeah, I would have loved him to grab the mark, but you know, he didn't.
0: Yeah, and I think, look, I, obviously we watch the replay and we watch these moments over and over and over again, often, um, or I, so I certainly do. Um, I think you're the same. But it, it looked like you know that that. You know, Liam Henry was off balance and that he probably had a bit more time than he thought he did, and he probably could have taken the mark. It was just unfortunate that then it led to that passage of play where you know our midfield wasn't able to to shut down that fife um, with that sort of that ball that he threw on his boot uh, that went through for the for the for their winning goal. So but Dawson is not the only you know culprit there, really, if you think about it. So, Whereas Ollie, oh goodness, I think you'll definitely want that one over again. That was, I was throwing things at the TV at this point, Steve-O, like I was, <laughs> oh, no. yeah, that was that was infuriating for me. But still, you know, yeah, hopefully our young players will learn through this because Dawson's only, I think he's, what, 24, 23, 24. Um, and Ollie, as you said, is 23. So young players, they've got a lot to learn. So hopefully they can um, take these moments and, and become better from it. Um, but in terms of, the A Bob Medal, which is our best in Ferris, Steve O. Um, we, we select our five best Swans players on the ground using the 5 4 3 2 1 scoring system, with five being the best. Steve O, kick us off. Who are your top players?
1: Um, for me, clear best on ground for the Swans was Lance Franklin, five votes, four to Dawson, three to Lloyd, two to Papley, and one to Mills.
0: Awesome. I also had King Bud with five points. I had uh, Callum Mills with four. Jordan Dawson with three, Josh Kennedy with two, and Tom Rickety-Leg Hickey. Rickety-Hickey <laughs> is, a, is a nickname I'm working on, uh, but I think we'll, um, I'll have to keep working on that. I'm giving him one point just for the fact he, he played basically a whole game on one leg. All right, so players we had the same. We obviously had Franklin, Dawson, and Mills the same. So why don't we just have a bit of a general chat about those three players starting with Buddy,
1: mate? Oh, Buddy was amazing. Um, he, what, six goals, one, 10 score involvements, which was the most for the Swans. He he was back to what he was like before he had his his longer injury layoff. Like that was absolute vintage, Buddy Franklin, the way that he was um, just. And I think we were chatting before, actually, before we started recording. And you were saying that, you know, the bloke that played on him, was it Griffin Logue, was his name? Yeah, Logue. Yeah, Log and, and you were saying, yeah, he didn't have a bad game either, and he didn't. Like it's just that Franklin was on. And, it's, and you know, For the for Logue, it's probably one of those one of those days that in thirty or forty years he'll tell his grandkids of the day that he, he followed the best forward of the modern era around around um Perth Stadium for two hours. So what do you do when a bloke's playing like that? Um, yeah. Loved his game.
0: Yeah, it was, it was unreal, wasn't it? It was just like, it was a, a joy to watch, really. And I, I, look, I think that non-Swan's fans would have loved that as well because when Buddy's, when Buddy's on fire, there's almost nothing better to watch. You know, I think Dusty on fire is, is pretty close, but Buddy on fire is a different kind of genius, right? He's just, uh, yeah, imagine, you know, we're talking about um, having an average of seven goals at Optus from two games, admittedly, but, you know, if it we went for that third quarter, this guy could have kicked 10 goals, you know, like, Oh, wow. Yeah, 18 disposals, 10 marks, three tackles. He loves a tackle, right? Yeah. I, I mentioned earlier five inside 50s, and we're thinking maybe those inside 50s were actually majority of his goals because he was bombing them from 50, 50 metres plus. So they may not have been, um, you know, forward 50 entries, um, but rather goals. But, yeah, just a performance for the ages. And I think, yeah, a lot of people, I think the coach, he got, you know, top points in the coaches' votes as well and deservedly so. And it was just great to see him like that. I think we're going to talk a little bit about Buddy um, a little later on. So, all right, let's talk about uh, Dawson and Mills, mate. Go for it.
1: Okay. Um, Dawson, I thought, I I gave him, he was my second best. And there was quite a few in that sort of second to maybe seventh or eighth or tenth best that, you know, could have been juggled around a bit. But I said it on Dawson just because I thought he played a really mature and, and quite composed game. Um, a good defensive game, the way that he delivered the ball and brought the ball out of 50 and also, um, you know, through the ground was really, really important. So that's why I had him up the top. And and then Mills, I mean, yeah, another really good midfield game from him in, in my top five players. He just keeps playing really, really well. Look, I,
0: I'm not going to lie. I had Dawson. I thought the the game that Dawson had prior to that <laughs> spoil was worthy of four points. Certainly not. Not was it. Wasn't going to knock Buddy out of the, t- the top position, but it just got under my skin a little bit. So I, I bumped it down to three points. But still had a fantastic game in his own right. He had thirty-one disposals, six marks, five tackles. Five tackles. I don't think I've ever seen him lay that many tackles. But um, I think he, the guy had something. How many rebound? Seventeen rebound fifties, right? So we think that's the opposite of an inside fifty, where you know, you're exiting your defensive 50. So obviously, because the Dockers had that many inside 50s, you know, not all of them became goals and they had a a lower conversion rate than us. So there's going to be times where our our back line are going to get the ball out. And, you know, I think Dawson was one that benefited from that. But he had a very, very good game. I think certainly one of the best I've seen him play in in, in a while. So, you know, it's fantastic to see him in that form. Um, For me, Millsy, same reason as you, um, you know, but for the third quarter, right? I think we could say that for mostly everyone. Um, you know, he would have been on track for, for a monster game. He ended up with 26 disposals, six marks, eight tackles, you know, two goal assists, three inside 50s, seven clearances. Yeah, he still had a very good game, even though he went missing in the third. So, yeah. All right. So players that we had differences on. So you had Lloyd and Papley, Lloyd with three, Papley with two, and then I had Joey with two and Hickey with one. So why don't you go with Lloyd and Papley first, mate?
1: Yeah, um, I was just thinking with, with Lloyd, I mean, he was he was more one of those ones. He was quite similar to Dawson, really. He played that that same sort of role in, in maybe a slightly different way. Lawson's more got that raking kick and, and Lloyd does a bit more of the, I guess, shorter stuff and bringing the ball down the line. But yeah, definitely... Um, Definitely for the same sort of reasons as Dawson. I thought Lloyd had a really good game. And then, um, and then besides him, I suppose the, um, the, the main one that with Papley, I mean, his, his forward work was, was really good. He only had a small amount of the ball. I mean, he had what, maybe 12 or 13 touches, something like that. But then he got two goals, which was our second best. He got two goal assists, which, again, was our second best. Eight score involvements, again, our second best. And when we were transitioning the ball through him or whenever he was at the fall of the ball inside 50, I thought we looked really dangerous. So that's why I had Papley in there. Yeah, no, they're they're very good points, mate. Um,
0: I had Joey uh, two and Hickey one. Uh, Look, again, but for the third quarter, I thought Joey had a pretty pretty solid game. Uh, He did have a few clangers. Um, I know he, he had a couple of those missed kicks in the first first and second quarter, um, which was disappointing. But you know, I think in general, he was one of the players that helped us get back in the, in that fourth quarter. 28 disposals, four marks, six tackles, you know, five inside fifties, five clearances. So I thought he had a good game. Um, and then finish off with Hickey. Uh, wasn't as influential as he has been in recent weeks. You know, He didn't get anywhere near the amount of clearances he'd been getting, but I just gave him one point just for the fact that, yeah, as you're saying, he's basically running around on one leg, and I just thought that was a, a very brave effort. So um, rewarded him with that one point there from me. All right, mate. If you've got nothing else to add there, I'm going to move on to fantasy update.
1: Yeah, sure.
0: Yep. Okay, mate. All right. I'm going to give a quick update on our AFL fantasy team. A bevy of Bloods, consisting solely of current Swans plus a few ex-Swans to help us out with injury cover. In round ten, a Bob scored. 1,612 points, and ranked 62,466 within that round, which leaves us sitting at 69,419th overall, approximately 2,000 places better than last week. Uh, The top five scorers of the game, four of the five high scores of the game were our Swannies. Uh, The highest scoring docker was Rory Lobb on 120, which, which was the second highest score of the game. The top five Swans were Dawson on 122, Frank, Franklin on 119, Mills on 111, Kennedy on 105 and Lloyd on 102. Um, A fantastic thing, obviously, was Franklin's performance and it reflected in his 119, but it could have been 131 if he didn't give away four free kicks against him. Um, Free kicks against uh, attract uh, minus three points, so you have to deduct three points. So he had four, so it was minus 12. So he would have had 131, which I think would have been the highest score of any forward in that round. But I, I need to double check that. Certainly 119 is great. 131 is a massive score. Um, nevertheless, uh, Millsy scored 111 points this week, which is exactly the same as what he scored last week against Collingwood. So you can show, you you can see he had another big game. Imagine if he played in the third quarter, he would have had a huge score. Um, but he backed it up like a boss nevertheless. And I threw the captaincy on him. So we got automatic double points. So his 111 became 222 points. So super stoked about that. Um, one minus was the, the apart from the five players I mentioned, no other Swans got anywhere near 100. So that we had five players that 100, had, with 100 plus and then the rest really just dropped off from there. So that third quarter killed us in fantasy too, mate. Um, in terms of trades, we've got Jazzy McInerney waiting on the bench to come in if any players are dropped uh, or need to be dropped either through injury or form. But we'll actually talk about that a little later on in the preview section. All right, so we're going to move over to the match review office, and Steve, you are going to let us know a few things that happened this uh, at the end of the last round.
1: Um, yeah, I guess first of all, I was I was a bit surprised not to see anything come out of the push and shove that happened at halftime. That little scuffle between um, uh, there was a few of them involved, Fife and and Franklin and Dawson and and um and Ryan from the Dockers were probably the main instigators of it. Um, nothing came from that. Um, so I guess that's that. And then, um, yeah, just because that's probably not something that you would think the AFL is wanting to have, you know, on prime time on a Saturday night in their in their time slot. But yeah, nothing came out of it. Um, and then I guess leading into that, this idea of, um, you know, this sort of walk away message from AFL House that they're trying to push because it seems somehow inconsistent with all of the AFL's messaging around what happened with the Richmond thing a couple of weeks ago that, you know, you should, you should walk away. And it was, it was a bit curious to me that nothing more was made for it. Maybe they just wanted it to disappear. I don't know to be not, not picked up on so much, but yeah. It yeah was I a reckon mate,
0: I reckon, I reckon that had to be the thing because it it, 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 it came up quickly and then disappeared very quickly, didn't it? But uh, what happened in the end, it was a, they got fined, didn't they?
1: Richmond did, yeah. Richmond got um, just today it came out. Richmond got a twenty thousand uh, dollar fine, or it's it's money that's going to go to a to a men's um, charity actually, but um, yeah. So it's effectively a fine out of Richmond's pocket um, for Shay Bolton, Shay Bolton's role in the word they use was exacerbating the recent nightclub fight, and um, and this, this and that's why I found it interesting with the comparison with what happened in the Swans game because that's kind of the exact same situation that these guys find themselves. In in a, on a Saturday night when they're out at the nightclub at 1 o'clock in the morning, right? You know, you've got a scuffle that's probably about nothing, but then it turns into something more. And, and yeah, I thought the contrast between the two was quite interesting to observe.
0: Yeah, that's an interesting point. I hadn't thought of it like that, mate. Look, I thought Fife whacked Warner twice around the head and Dawson was well within his rights to give him a bit of a shove in the back and then it just escalated from there. But yeah, it's, it was funny um, foiled against that that thing that was happening with Richmond, wasn't it? In terms of the tribunal, we had a couple of cases. What were they, Steve-O?
1: Well, there were three tonight, like Tuesday night, we're, we're recording on Tuesday night. And there were three that have just come up tonight. And um, one was Lockie Plowman from, from Carlton who got done, he, he was found guilty for his hit on O'Meara, it was sort of charging in, there was a bit of a mark ball coming in. And O'Meara got concussed and so he was given two weeks, which was upheld by the tribunal. Carlton are talking about appealing it. We'll see what happens over the coming days. Um, and then Pickett from Richmond whacked um, whacked an opposition player, got a week. Richmond took it to the tribunal. I'm not sure why. I don't see how that was ever going to be downgraded, but the week was upheld. And then Holman, the one that got most of the attention from, from the Gold Coast Suns, did what you would look like at being a perfect chase down from behind tackle on Duncan from uh, from the Geelong Football Club. Duncan waxed his head on the ground accidentally and um, the original decision from the AFL match review office was two weeks. The tribunal threw it out. He's clear to play.
0: Oh, good, mate, because I, I saw that one and that was that was everything you would teach a player to how to tackle a player from behind. He, he chased him, dead. awesome 20-metre chase, got him and then rolled. And it was just, you know, obviously unfortunate that Duncan's head hit the ground, but there's really nothing that I thought Holman could have done there that he didn't do. And I also saw the Plowman one. I thought, you know, maybe grey area, but yeah, I don't know. Like I thought he he probably didn't deserve two games, but still the picket one was so obvious. He just tried to take his head off. Like, I I don't know why they tried to fight that, but yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it seems like the me- it. the messaging seems a bit unclear again, doesn't it? It's it's a uh, bit hard to to see what you know what players need to look out or be wary of, right?
1: Absolutely, I mean, because the thing that really gets me for this is okay, everyone's happy now. Everyone, we've got the result that everyone called for in the media that that Holman got off because that was a perfect tackle and he shouldn't have got two weeks, and the tribunal has said that. But the tribunal is separate from the match review office. Um, Dave Christensen, um, I think, is his name, and he represents the AFL, that's that's AFL house. So the AFL is saying, we think this is a two week suspension for that tackle. And then the tribunal is saying no. So so what happens next time? Does the AFL again say two weeks and the tribunal throws it out? I mean, it's, it's a mess. I don't know what's gonna happen really going forward. I guess we'll find out if, if and when the next one comes.
0: I wonder if it's a liability thing, you know, the AFL just sort of saying, well, we told you this is a bad thing, this is on you tribunal for letting them off, but I don't know. Yeah. I guess it's it's very important to protect the head but it just needs to be clear, consistent messaging, and unfortunately, it changes on a weekly basis. But I think you had a point about Sean Higgins, didn't you, mate?
1: <laughs> That's yeah, you told me
0: beforehand.
1: Yeah, I mean, and this has been because when I first saw it, my first reaction was this, and then in in some of the media stuff I've seen has picked up on it as well over the last couple of days. My first instinct when I watched that, because you sent me the link saying, "Watch this, it's it's crazy," and I saw a bloke execute a perfect tackle from behind, rang him down. Um, and I thought, what's what's not on about? What's wrong with this? And then my first instinct was, oh, maybe it's Sean Higgins, this is how to not shepherd and protect a teammate because if you look at look look back at it, he's just oh, he, he flicks his arm out and then just keeps jogging, you know. and um yeah, if you if you want to teach teach people how to tackle from behind, then use that footage. if you want to teach them how to shepherd, then maybe find something else.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think he just said it pad the stats and win a flag, but uh, anyway. <laughs> Who knows? We've got Paddy coming back in, so you, you want to hope that Higgins uh, you know, is, is working hard to keep his spot, but uh, you never know. You never know. All right, mate. Well, um, let's keep an eye on that, but let's move on to the next segment. We're going to talk about a few hot topics in the AFL uh, and the VFL as well. So let's start with a VFL update, which I think you're going to do, Stevo.
1: Sure. Yeah. I mean, not much to report really. Um, the game was live streamed on the Swans YouTube channel, I think, but... Um, There's no replay available, so I haven't seen the game, Um, and we know that the Swans were up by a point at half-time and then got run down, or not run down, overrun, I should say, um, to lose by 40 in the end against KC Demons, which is Melbourne Demons' um, affiliated club or or whatever the relationship is, I'm not sure of the details, Um, and you haven't really seen any match report yet, nothing detailed either from that, so there's just a few tidbits in some summaries on some various news websites. Um, so the best players from what I can find Gould played well, McDonald, Bell, O'Reardon, Gray, and Brand were all listed in the best. Uh, Logan McDonald kicked three goals, um, and, and that's really it from the game. And then you asked me before, did Zach Foote play the former Swans listed player? Zach Foot, is now playing for Casey Demons, yeah. He played by look of it by the team lists, but we don't know how he went, so um. So that was it really from the reserves this week. And next up is Carlton, 11.30am before the seniors on Sunday this coming week at the SCG, at least it's listed for the SCG and live on KO. So you can watch it on KO. We'll be able to get the replay of that one too, that means, which is good.
0: Awesome. Fantastic, mate. They um, obviously heard us uh, say, why Why have we got the VFL team on after the seniors? But, um, well, there's plenty of Swannies coming up in that that Carlton VFL team want to look out for. Riley Stoddart. Uh, Harry Reynolds and Cody Hurst Stoddard had a few games Reynolds never got on and Cody Hurst was one of those players that came in as a bit of a cover I think in a pre-season or mid-season sense but um, still be good to see those guys have a run against uh, their ex-mates um, look, One thing I will uh, mention, Steve-O is I, I was re-watching um, the Collingwood Swans VFL match and I, I think I texted you this during, during the uh, after I heard it and I think it was uh, after the first quarter break or the, or the halftime break um, where you could see the footage, uh, the camera was uh, basically on the boundary fence and you could see the senior guys walking off. They're all in their, you know, training gear uh, and joggers and you've got like the likes of Jordan Goey and Pendlebury strolling off. And that clear as day, you could hear on the audio picked up, there was uh, either a diehard Swans fan or I'm putting this out there, a diehard Carlton fan uh, screamed at them, what are you going to teach if You guys couldn't, you guys couldn't even get the win. You guys are bloody hopeless or something like that. And then you, and then you hear like someone from Collingwood say, Oh, settle down, sweetheart. Like it was just, it was one of those interactions where I thought, Oh, what a heckle. There was one lady on her own who stuck around to, to throw a boot into the, uh, the depleted magpies. I thought it was fantastic. Uh, worth mentioning now. Sorry. Um, wasn't in our uh, our plans to mention, but I, it just popped in my head, and and I thought I'd add that. But um, one other thing, very quickly on that game against uh, Casey, I went to their website and I watched uh, you know a highlights reel of all of Casey's goals, and there were a lot of them. Um, it did look like um, Gould was beaten in certain um, cases, but if if we found reports saying he was good or one of our best, then he obviously had. Uh, an impact elsewhere so I'm hoping that's the case especially uh, as we you and I have been talking about um, you know hopefully he gets a a debut in the coming weeks so that's one to keep in the back of our mind. Uh, Steve-O we're going to talk about the Indigenous rounds coming up so this week and next week are this year's Indigenous rounds so I thought we'd just take a little bit of time to talk about our favourite Indigenous players from the Swans over the past years so who are yours, mate? Oh, okay, let's limit it because there are a couple. Let's let's just look at your favourite current or ex Swan, who is Indigenous.
1: Uh, it's tough. There are three, and it's the same three that I think anyone is going to um is going to say. So Franklin Goods and O'Loughlin. So I'm going to go a bit left field. We can talk about those guys in a minute, but when I was younger, like as a teenager playing footy, one of my absolute favorite Swans players, and he was only at the Swans for a short period of time, was Troy Cook, who ended up spending most of his career over at Fremantle, funny enough, who just did a number on us this weekend, but um, he ended up playing close to 200 AFL games, really, really strong career. And I really loved him as a youngster because he was one of those players who just threw himself in everything. He was, he was kind of like, you know, almost Paul Kelly style, like that level of ferocious attack on the footy. And so he was a player as a teenage footballer um, learning the game that I really modeled myself on a lot. So I'm going to say Troy Cook is one of my, one of my favorites. And then of the big three, I'm going to pick goods, but it's tight.
0: Yeah, I mean, Goodsy legend. I mean, literally Australian of the Year. Fantastic. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I'll go back to those guys in a second. I, I just want to have a few shout-outs. Um, Derek Kickick uh, got in the 96 grand final, you know, that we both went to. He was instrumental in that year. He, I remember him just being like a just a fantastic player, dangerous around the goals. Um, so one of my favourite um, very early players. And then who can forget Lewis Jetta's, you know, sprint against Cyril Rioli in that grand final He was just such a key member of that uh, Premiership year. So, just a few shout outs to those guys and those moments. Um, But, yeah, for me, yeah, it's, as you said, it's Franklin Goods and O'Loughlin. I mean, Goodsy, look, Goodsy's, I mean, it's unfortunate the way, you know, all the the racism stuff that happened is truly regrettable because, you know, maybe he plays another season and a half and gets 400. But, I mean, look, he's had a, a, Totally glory, like a glorious career, right? 372 games, I think. Two Brownlows, two premierships. I mean, that's among the best of the best, wouldn't you say?
1: Yeah, definitely. And I'm glad you mentioned the way that he exited the game and how unfortunate that was because I think what we have in Adam Goods is not just an example of an absolutely gifted footballer, two Brownlows, two premierships, club best and fairest, goal-kicking medals, everything. But we've got an example of someone who is – an amazing role model, both for Indigenous people, but for Australians in general, I think. And and that's how I will always remember Adam Goods as an amazing footballer, but as just an amazing advocate as well.
0: He's just a fantastic human being. And it just, it makes me so angry thinking about what he went through, you know, like just like almost like how dare all those people treat him like that. But, you know, it's they made those documentaries and if anyone hasn't seen them, please see, you know find them and watch them. Um, I think it's important. Uh, it's almost like a, an exercise of closure, but you know, otherwise, uh, education. You know, so it never happens again. And you know, the AFL are getting behind that and making sure that that sort of thing doesn't happen again. Um, we just have to make sure that they follow through. And then these rounds are, are part of that process, and, it, and it's a fantastic thing. Um, you know, to embrace the um, you know the the origins, the heritage, and and all the all the past and present players that you know. Grace our game, really. I um, oh, just a quick shout out to one of the Swans boys that I go to the footy with, Elliot. he um he's an English uh, English guy, a mad Manchester United uh, fan, so he follows another red and white team there, so that's fantastic. he He plays a bit of uh, soccer football um, in his local Sydney comp. It's an amateur comp. He actually plays against Adam Goods every now and then. Because Goodsy plays in one of the the, the teams that he, he, uh, Elliot comes up against, and I'm always like, oh, you yeah, know, how'd you go against Goodsy? He's like, oh, yeah, pretty, pretty, pretty bad. Yeah, you know, he's a pretty, he's, a, he's an athlete, right? Basically, Goods runs all day and scores goals. Yeah, you know, I think he was actually a soccer player before he switched over to AFL um, or Aussie Rules seriously. But um, yeah, just thought I'd give that quick anecdote about Elliot um, and how he plays against the man, the legend, Adam Goods. Um, That's great. I'm also with. Yeah, it's 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 a good story, isn't it? Yeah, but yeah, he's, he's as good at amateur soccer as he as he was at professional Aussie rules. But uh, yeah, just a just a legend, really. I saw him I saw him in a cafe a couple of times and uh, tried to get a, a selfie with him, but yeah, I thought it was a bit rude, so I just sort of marvelled at him from a distance. But yeah, he's totally approachable by all accounts. So I probably should have just manned up and said hello. But <laughs> anyway, um, we're also going to just very quickly talk about Buddy as one of those other players um, and Mickey O. Legend, but also a legend, um, 05 Premier, uh, Premiership player rather. Um, but Buddy Franklin, right? So 6-1 against the Dockers. AFL is up and about as Buddy's up and about. Uh, it's sort of a bit of a barometer, right? Buddy plays well. People get a bit excited. You know, they, they know he's, he's one of the all-time greatest goal kickers. He's currently sitting on 963 goals after, his, after the effort against uh, the Dockers, which is the seventh highest of all time at the moment he needs eight more goals to surpass overtake uh Jack Titus uh who played for Richmond between 20, 1926 and 1943 uh he scored 970 goals at the end of his career so but he needs another eight to to get past him and if he does that he will become the sixth highest um look a thousand is sort of this uh you know future figure that people throw out there um you know only how many how many players is it, Steve-O, Have reached a thousand? I think it's five.
1: I think right? so, so. Only again. five,
0: yeah, five other players in the history of, you know, AFL, VFL, VFA, in the history of this game have have kicked a thousand goals in in a professional sense. Um, so he needs thirty seven more goals to reach that. Um, I think uh, it's been documented in the media. You know, if you if you look at his last full season, which was twenty nineteen, he had a few injury issues um, at the end of that year, and also twenty twenty. If we look at twenty nineteen. His average that year, he kicked 2.875 goals a game. So if we use that number, which is his last recent usable number, um, then we we could say he could kick 37 goals in 13 games, and there are 12 home and ga- home and away games remaining this year. So if we make the finals, you know goals in finals count. If we make the finals, it's possible there's an outside chance that Buddy could kick it, kick a thousand goals this year. Obviously his body needs to hold up. Obviously, you know, there's a lot of other, you know, factors that come into it. But what do you reckon, Stevo? Do you reckon we're on track this year? After a performance like that, are you up and about or what?
1: He's a chance. I also just looking at this now, I hadn't thought about this, but now that you say that he's he's thirty seven shy of his thousand, I quite like the fact that he's 37 shy which was Adam Goods's famous number Goods coming number. into the coming into the indigenous rounds. I think there's some nice little um little symbolism there or or something.
0: Yeah, look out. Okay. We've uh, we've cracked the code. So um you know, obviously if he does it, it's definitely off his own bat, but maybe you and I had a small part to play in that if we want to be Complete narcissists. Well, uh, anyway, look.
1: Let's let's put it out there. Let's say that he needs 37 at the beginning of Indigenous round. Let's say Mickey O used to earn 19. Do you reckon he can get it down to 19 by the time the Indigenous fortnight is over? Probably not. Okay, so he
0: <laughs> he needs to kick what like a eight, lot of
1: goals, <laughs> a
0: lot of goals in two rounds. He needs to get two bags basically. Yeah. He needs to kick it like eight, eight goals and nine goals or something like that. Look, if anyone can do it, it's Buddy. So yeah. You know, Let's not put the moz on him, but let's also say, you know, anything's possible, right? But um, it it will be truly fantastic. And, Steve, I I really wish you were in Australia um, for the day that Buddy kicks a 1,000 because, you know, people, and fingers crossed it's at the SCG, we're going to be running on that field, mate. And uh, I think about that, and it just makes me feel very warm and fuzzy. But, uh, anyway, we shouldn't get ahead of ourselves one game at a time, and obviously the team comes first. (laughs) So... Uh, speaking of teams, all right, we're going to go on to the next segment, which is the preview of the round ahead. So in this section, we're going to focus on three games, most importantly, the Swans next game. And then we're going to look at two other games of interest. One introduced by Stevo, and the other by me. After that, we'll finish up with uh, running through the rest of the tips for the round. So, Game eight of round 11 is a home game for the still sixth place Bloods taking place this Sunday, the 30th of May at the SCG against the 12th place Carlton Blues with first bounce at 3.20pm Australian Eastern Standard Time. Okay, Steve-o, so how did the team pull up after the Dockers game? What's our injury status?
1: Uh, we had a couple. Um, the first one, Fox got what looked like a poke to his eye, like a bit of a scratch on his eye. And based on what um, what was said from the club earlier this week. Probably is not going to play. They're going to take it cautiously with him. So Foxes are likely out, um, which is a shame because he just got back into the team from his previous injury and he was getting himself established and playing some good footy. So so it's a shame to see him go out. Hopefully he's not gone for too long because he's, he's a valuable player. Um, and then Hickey. I mean, Hickey hurt his knee again, played out the whole game on, I mean, who knows how he played out the game. Some combination of painkillers and strapping tape seems to be what got through. Got him through the the four quarters, but um,
0: sheer will, drive, yeah,
1: determination. That's it. Yeah, those, all of those things um, got, got him. Got him through. And maybe,
0: maybe there's an element of Samson. Uh, what was that that story? Uh, the hair. Is, is it? Yeah, you know, maybe his strength lies in his in those curly locks, mate. Who knows? But so, yeah, most, more realistically pain jabs and, and strapping.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's go with a combination of all of the above. So, so yeah. Hickey, Hickey might be an out. So they're the, they're the two likely at least forced outs. Any other outs would be omissions.
0: Yeah. Okay. So, all right. So if Hickey's out, then Sinclair in, right? So Nate Smith has played by now a half against the pies in the VFL and we think he probably played majority minutes against Casey, but we don't know. It's probably too soon for Naismith to to leapfrog leapfrog Sinclair, wouldn't you say? If if Hickey's out.
1: Yeah, I mean a game and a half maximum in the reserves probably isn't enough. So you'd think Sinclair's the one in.
0: And and look, Sinclair's serviceable. Um, you know, he, he he did the job when we were out of rucks basically last year and for the half of the year before that. So, you know, he's ready to come back in. He's a ready made player. Um, if Fox is out, does Gould finally get a game?
1: He's a chance. I mean, it depends how they how they go about it. I mean, either you bring in a sort of uh, a set defender like they would do with, you know, hickey out like a ruck out for a ruck in. Um but then, yeah, then who do they bring in? I mean, who's who's sort of putting their hands up in the seconds? There's Gould, there's um, there's O'Riordan, and then Millican possibly, if he's fit, um, he's been coming back off an injury. So maybe him, but then we've got three quite tall players down there. Um, or does McInerney come straight back in from his week off with the rest? Um, he was managed last week against Fremantle. Does he come straight back in and, and play more of a, a halfback role rather than on the wing where he's been playing? Because he's been playing quite a defensive wingman role anyway. He's been pushing back quite a lot, so maybe he he does that. I'm not sure what they're going to do actually.
0: I think probably the way that they'll go is is to bring McInerney back in because um, I think he was managed because he was know, yeah, they were they were wary of his um, his back. Um, he had a few back issues in the preseason. obviously, with Goulden and Campbell going out with these stress fractures, they were worried that maybe that might happen to McInerney. so it was managed for a week. So it's probable that he he comes back in. But yeah, does he play that sort of lockdown uh, you know small, small defender that that Fox has been or can do very well and has been doing um, past couple of weeks? and I'm wondering if, you know, I, I, I do I do agree with you that, that McInerney has been playing more defensive uh, in his wing role, but Florent also has been running back and helping out in the defence. So maybe there's a, a sharing of roles there between McInerney and Florent. Um, you know, if, if one isn't looking good, then they switch it up. Because they, they both can obviously play wing. Um, but yeah, they, they can also help out down back. So... Yeah, I think you raise a good point. If we go with three talls, uh, obviously you know, we're going to talk about Carlton um, a little bit, who their gun players are, but they they have a few talls down in their forward line. So, yeah, maybe we do go with that three pronged tall. And I, I did mention that I thought we we're a bit short against the Dockers. Um, you seem to think that we're we're okay with basically McCartney and Rampy as our two talls because Rampy can basically play as a effectively like a two hundred and ten centimeter player, but. Um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how they go. I think I think every Swans fan is pretty keen to see Gould get a run in in, in the seniors. You know, for anything, we just want to see how he goes. But also, you know, I think we you and I have spoken about this a lot. You know, if he doesn't get a game soon, he's a quality player. He's going to be snapped up by an opposition team. So maybe this is the week. Um, possible omissions, though. Okay, let's talk about this elephant in the room. There was a lot of hate uh, against Nick Lizard-Blakey running around on Swan's chat, you know, all the forums and on Facebook and stuff. And I think it's clear to say that Blakey didn't have his best game against the Dockers and that he is out of a little bit of form. Does he get dropped? Does he need another couple of weeks in the VFL? I tend to think he does. What do you think, mate?
1: Um, I think that he hasn't. You say, yeah, like he... Hasn't had his best week. He hasn't had his best season, really. He's yeah, not been great. Yeah, yeah. And and the thing with me when I watch him a lot, he always seems to be like he's he's often trying to do a bit too much with the footy, like not just doing the simple stuff. Like he's often looking for that, um, that extra game-breaking play rather than just, you know, doing the basics. And um, I think they're a bit stuck though now because I'm not sure who's, especially with injuries to Campbell and to Goulden, there's not really a long line of guys in the reserves now that are bashing down the door. So if you drop him, you want to bring in a player who's going to have an impact. And I'm not sure who that player is.
0: Yeah. I mean, look, Ryan Clark was rewarded um, from having a couple of massive weeks in the VFL, but as we saw against the Dockers, you know, he's probably just a a little bit out of touch at at that top level, Um, you know, but maybe he he can play himself into some form if he, if he gets, gets the nod. But then there's you know, obviously established AFL players in Sam Gray and Lewis Taylor, but uh, I mean I'd prefer Lewis Taylor than Sam Gray just for a you know a, a youth and future a future sense. But yeah, look, James Bell maybe Indigenous round. You know he is a pretty handy player, but I don't think his performances in the VFL have been screaming out pick me. But uh, <sighs> this is not really the time to talk about. It, but I just think you know obviously Blakey has been pushed into the midfield because he's he's. Got very good hands for a tall guy. He can help out in the ruck. Um, you know, he has he had he had a very nice left left kick, um, but he's just completely out of confidence or something this year. But I I think he maybe should be playing in the forward line because that you know in his first year he kicked like 19 goals in 21 games. So I don't know maybe he just gets back into the forward line and gets a bit of confidence. But I don't know
1: anyway. Um, And he was in in Fremantle, hmm. against Fremantle. He was in the forward line quite a bit against Fremantle. But then um, he was probably not helped by the fact that the ball wasn't really coming in there much. And Franklin was also the focal point to everything a lot of the time. So of all of those inside 50s that we got, how many would Blakey have even had much of an opportunity to impact? I'm not sure. Um, By the time Blakey, by the time um, Papley and, and Buddy do their bit.
0: That's true. I think there was just a few efforts that I know a few Swans fans were a little bit miffed about, you know, like, um, you know, bumping players instead of tackling, like wrap your arms. I know you've got to work on your shoulders and stuff. I I love the guy, but yeah, a few efforts. uh, I was come on, mate, lay that tackle or, you know, open your, you know, when he got caught holding the ball, when he wasn't, didn't look left, didn't even think to look left. And and then he got tackled by, I think it was Collier or something. But um, we all know he can play very well. So for me, it's just as you're saying. Like he seems to be rushing, doing overly difficult things. So I, I don't know. I think you know, simple is best, and just yeah, probably go back to the VFL because he went back for one week and and had a fairly decent game, but then was rushed back in. So yeah, I don't know. When he's playing as that sort of hybrid player, like the rack ruck backup, I guess you know, we're a bit a bit stuck, and that's why he was playing there because he's quite versatile. But ironically, he's become a lear and you know he's sort of playing himself out of the team because he's not getting a chance to get good at one position. But um yeah, I don't know. Hopefully Steven stays in because I you know I think even though he had would you say 10 touches, I think he looked okay. Like he's I think the more time he spends at top level, the better he's gonna get. Surely he holds, right, Stevo?
1: Um I think so. Like he, he didn't do a huge amount of stuff against Fremantle, but he wasn't bad either. And, um, and again, like, who, who would you bring in for him? I don't, I don't think there's anyone that I'd rather have in the team than him at the moment.
0: Yeah, me too. All right, look very quickly, um, Carlton, um, you know, we picked this up on the AFL app. Um, they're saying that Jack Martin may come in for Cottrell uh, and ex-Swan's academy lad Luke Parks could return or will most likely return now that Plowman has failed to have his two-match ban uh, for that high hit on O'Meara overturned. So that, that is what Carlton is looking like. Uh, a bit light on the uh, reporting there for Carlton, but them's the breaks. This is a Swans podcast. All right, Steve-O, Swannies. Which Swanny flies high and why?
1: Uh, look, I finally know one. It's been months that I haven't been able to get one of these right, but I asked for Buddy to go nuts, and he did. So we can cross him off my list. He's delivered what I asked for. So next in line is Tom Papley. He's, um, he's been looking lively here and there throughout the year, but he's only gone over the two-goal mark once, and I think that was in round three against Richmond, if I remember, and he kicked four. So I want to see Papley get, you know, three or four, get a decent return um, on the SCG.
0: Fire up that local crowd as he can do.
1: um
0: Mate, I picked Rowie against the Dockers, and I specifically said 20-plus disposals, two goals, and five tackles. I think he got 15 disposals, one goal, and five tackles. So he wasn't far off. But, yeah, he he, he didn't play as well as he had in the past couple of weeks. So uh, I was close but no cigar. For me, uh, Wixie, who is another player that I know Swans fans are, are saying could do with a week off, but, you know, I think you and I can see his value and what he does to the team. Um, I think he holds his spot, and I think he's going to bounce back and, and kick a couple. You know, he, he, he was one self-loathing signet after that second behind. You could see... Yeah, I love to see the competitiveness, but geez, he was getting stuck into himself. He was like, oh, oh, oh you know, all that sort of stuff. So you love seeing that because it's, you, you, you can see the passion in the player, but you also want him to go easy on himself. You know, he's still a young player himself. So um, I'm, I'm backing him in to bounce back, hold his spot, bounce back and kick a, a solid couple. Um, and then uh, lay, a, let's say, uh, seven tackles. Uh, that's my prediction. All right, opposition players. So... Carlton, the Blues, who do we need to be wary of?
1: Oh, for me, it's Walsh. He's a gun. He's like only 20 years old, and he's their best, most important player, I think. And, yeah, need to put some work into him. If he gets to run riot, then, um, yeah, we might be dealing with another 60-plus inside 50s.
0: Would you put someone on him, like a, have a tag on him, or just make sure that he doesn't run away with it?
1: Um, I'm not sure about a tag necessarily, but but certainly make sure that all of the midfielders are aware of him and whoever happens to be running with him, that through their body work and blocking and positioning, they make his job harder. Um, yeah, because most, most coaches aren't really running hard tags anymore. It's not really as much of a thing as it was in the past. But, but yeah, certainly the whole midfield group needs to be responsible for stopping him getting away. Yeah, I mean, our, our two probably tag as uh, a Hewitt and he's in the back
0: line these days. And I know Ryan Clark's had a, uh, had a go at that and he's probably a you know, fringe player at best. So if Walsh doesn't kick off, then obviously Patrick Cripps, their, their leader, he, he can very easily, you know, control the game as well. So he's someone to look out for as well. But other than those two guys, for me, it's Harry McKay. Uh, he's leading the Coleman on 35 goals. He's in awesome form and, and he's a pretty big unit as well. He's 204 centimetres, 105 kilos in reference uh lob is 207 centimeters and 106 kilos so he's not far off that obviously mccarton and rampy you know had their handful uh hands full against lob and i think the combination of those guys you know because they'll do a bit of a job they'll switch around um they're gonna have to really stay focused to 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 minimize his you know his effort and and his impact on the game so that, that that's who we need to look out for for me all right, how do we get? How do we come away with a victory? What do we do to get a win?
1: I think be brave. That's the sort of like the slogan for this week for me is you know take the game on, move the ball quick, just like they did in parts of that final quarter when you know they got a sniff of a win against Fremantle, and just like they've done in in many games this year, really. But um, yeah, be brave, take it on, move the ball fast, give the forwards a chance to put up a score, and then yeah, a bit of zip, a bit of energy from the youth would be great as well, I think, and that'll. That'll hopefully get us across the line. Because Carlton, we shouldn't underestimate Carlton, because they're they're a decent side. They're a young team, kind of like us, on a build. We're maybe a little bit ahead of the on the timeline, but not much. And they will be absolutely stinging for a win. And Eddie Betts has a history of tearing it up in these indigenous round games. So I bet they'll all love to win for him.
0: Likewise, I mean they've got Zach Williams, who's new to the club. He's just been shifted back to halfback. Uh, he's looking much more at home there. He's an indigenous player, so he'll be up and about for Mark Rook ground. and, yeah, like Adam Saad, obviously is another big acquisition. I mean these this is one of the teams you're talking about that's that's in that sort of you know six to twelve that are just gunning gunning for our blood, really. so we, it really is a danger game. and Goodness, I, I agree with you. We need our younger guys to step up. We're, and we, we also need much better service for our mids uh, for a full four-quarter effort. Uh, we, need, we, we just need more balls going inside the 50, really. Um, and then hopefully we can keep that conversion rate up. Oh, and also, if we can mark it, mark it. And for goodness sake, lower your eyes. That was a bit of a dig, I know. But I had to say it. That's what I think. All right, let's look at the form uh, of both teams. And we'll start with the win-loss. So obviously... The Swannies are six wins and four losses, and the Blues are four wins and six losses. Um, we're coming sixth, they're coming twelfth, obviously. Our last five has been a loss, a win, a loss, a win, a loss, and theirs has been a loss, a win, two losses, and a win. Um, yeah, look, our previous five encounters have been pretty close, really, Um uh, 2020, uh, the Blues beat us by five. 2019, they beat us by seven. Um, prior to that, the Swans have really had their measure. So 2017, 2018, 2019, we beat them by 81 points, 30 points and 19 points. Majority of those games at the SCG. So, you know, home and away doesn't seem to really count. Um, if you just go off the past two years, then this game is going to be close. It's probably going to be de- uh, decided by within... Uh, you know, double digits. I hope that it doesn't. I hope we can just come out and, and play with confidence and zip and energy and get the job done. But it is certainly looking like a danger game with that in mind, Steve O who are you tipping?
1: I want to tip Sydney, but I'm not going to, I want to tip Carlton because at the moment I just think every time there's one of these eight point games against another team, that's roughly where we're at. We somehow blow it or well, most of the time, at least we, um, and i don't know i think i'd be more confident if we were playing the bulldogs to be honest like um, <laughs> yeah i'm i'm tipping carlton i'm sorry swans yeah carlton
0: look it's i, I actually fully agree with you you know we we've we've, we've, been, we've witnessed it this year where we, te- we we're somehow scraping wins against teams we shouldn't be beating and yet the teams that we we you know on paper we're like you know we should win this not always comfortably but you know we should win this we're losing so I'm scratching my head. So with that in mind, I'm going conservatively. I'm going, same as you, I'm picking the blues, mate. And I hate, it makes me feel dirty doing that. But uh, yeah, I just, I've lost a bit of confidence and uh, yeah, it's the blues for me. I'm I, I'm wanting to be proven wrong though. So, all right, Stevo. lastly, if a group of swans is called a bevy, then what is a group of blues called?
1: Mate, I could not find anything. I scoured the whole internet, even the less um salubrious parts of the internet and there's nothing saying what a group of blues is called because you know blues isn't really a thing is it it's hard to to quantify what blues even is so i think of like three things music color and mood when i think of the word blues so i came up with one for each so for music i thought it could be a trumpet of blues i could imagine a trumpet of blues playing out across the scg um for the color blue i have a shimmering of blues i'm thinking of like the sea or the ocean you know as it shimmers and then for the mood an onset of blues so i don't know which one you want to pick out of them mate you are a wordsmith um if yeah, you are
0: you're a true poet and uh look i think <laughs> these are all good options um uh, but I, I, something about a trumpet of blues feels fun I, I feel like you know blues fans wouldn't i mean they'd obviously be like you guys are idiots. Don't call us a trumpet of blues. Um, I think they refer to themselves as blue baggers, um, which is which is a funny one as well. I think it's to do with their hat. But I, I love it. I love a trumpet of blues. Let's go with that, Steve.
1: <laughs> nice. Uh, a trumpet of blues is going to play out so on Sunday afternoon.
0: Awesome. So it's the bevy versus a, a trumpet uh, on Saturday. Arvo. Just quickly before we move on, um, I should mention that Lance Buddy Franklin. Kicked ten goals two against the Blues in in that 2017 match that we uh, beat them by 81. In um, you know, after that he hasn't kicked bags. He kicked three two in 2018, two one in 2019. Didn't play in round 17 2019 and also didn't play last year with those ongoing injuries. But who knows? Maybe he does go on and kick that bag we were talking about earlier in that middle section, Stevo. If he can repl- replicate that uh, 2017 performance, but uh, just so I throw share that stat there um, okay now we're going to look at a couple of games of interest and i think stevo you're going to kick us off no allow me because i'm looking at the first game of round 11 chronologically speaking i'm going to look at the first place western bulldogs versus the second place melbourne demons at marvel on fr- i don't think i've got the date right it's on friday night at 750 local time it's the much-anticipated top-of-the-table clash so long as COVID doesn't ruin the party. I think there's been a pause on ticket sales in Melbourne at the moment. Um, look, in terms of injuries, the Western Bulldogs actually have a few on their long-term injury list. They've got one of my favourite players, Josh Dunkley, who should definitely be a Swan but isn't, and I will complain about that every other week. Um, uh, they've got Steph Martin, they've got Jong, they've got Richards, uh, joined now by Adam Trelaw, their gun recruit from last year, um, who's done an ankle and he's out for six to eight weeks. Uh, not to mention Easton Wood, who was their one-time captain. Uh, but that notwithstanding, I think they're getting Tim English back and Lipinski um, for Trelaw and Scott, who I think had a head knock there with concussion. For the Ds, uh, they don't have as big a uh, long-term injury list. They've got Tomlinson, who did his knee. ACL a couple of weeks ago, is out for the season. And Jack Viney's been on there for a while, but it's looking like he's a test and, and may be ready for this weekend. So I think, uh, you know, the pundits are saying that Salem, who, who was rested for a week, he had General soreness. he'll come back in for Jetta. And then Viney, if he's fit, will most likely take Melksham's spot just because, you know, there's not that many, there's not much um, availability in the Demons starting 22. Uh, so that's looking like the ins for them. Uh, we'll also mention that a player uh, of, of the, you know, ilk of Ben Brown, uh, I think, is, is running around in the VFL as well. So that shows you just how tight they are for spots there. Um, their last five and their win loss, uh, the Bulldogs are nine and one. Their one loss, uh, sorry, nine wins, one loss. Their one loss was in round seven against Richmond. Um, they lost by 22, but their last five have been all Ws, win, 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 win. Uh, Melbourne are exactly the same now um, so they're nine wins one loss that what that one loss was last round against Adelaide in Adelaide where Adelaide beat them by one um, under slightly controversial uh, you know circumstances but um, so Melbourne are win 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 loss uh, and their other closest win was against us when we lost to them by nine so you know Adelaide beat us in that regard, but otherwise, the Swans were doing well, as you mentioned much earlier on in tonight's podcast, Steve-O. All right, um, a couple of key players from both sides. I mean, the depth of the Bulldogs midfield is sublime. Steve-O, you've you've, uh, previewed the Dogs before. The the depth of their midfield is incredible. Uh, Bontempelli, who's I think, currently a Brownlow medal favourite. McRae is coming first in the league for disposals, averaging 35 a game and first for score involvements in the AFL with 8.3 a game. Bruce and Norton are on fire. Uh, They're coming third and fifth respectively in the, in the race for the Coleman um, with Bruce kicking 30 and Norton kicking 27 so far. Then of course you've got stalwarts, Libba, you know, Caleb Daniels, who who runs a show back in the back line. And then Bailey Smith, Bazlenko, who's, you know, a a gun Uh, for Melbourne. Similarly, they're just as dangerous. They've got Clayton Oliver, who's coming first in the AFL for con- contested possessions, 18 a game, third for disposals with 32 a game. They've got Petraca the gun, who's just signed that huge extension. They've got Maxi um, you know, probably best ruckman in the competition. They're captain. James Jordan, who's come out of nowhere to just be this just fantastic player for them. He's actually coming third in the league for tackles a game. He's 6.9, almost seven tackles a game. I know I've got him in a couple of fantasy teams and he is killing it. Uh, Jake Lever, he's coming first uh, for intercept possessions, averaging 11 a game. And then you've got the likes of May, who did the job on Buddy against us. And then you've got Salem coming back in, who basically does that quarterback role. So there's gun players across both teams. It really should be a cracker. Um, Right. In terms of... A comment for the home team. I think I read that the Bont is poised to sign a massive contract extension that should take him through to the end of 2025. So he's 30. So, look, if he rolls it on from there, he'll basically be a bulldog for life. Great news for the dogs. You know, fantastic news for him personally. He's a great player. I know a lot of the Swans boys, we've spoken about Bont over the years as a player that we should have targeted or, you know, hoped to target, but it looks like he's going to stay. Um, down there in uh, Western Bulldogs. But that kind of news is galvanising for a team and might actually just give the dogs the edge. For the Ds, conversely, if Viney can come back, he's a spiritual captain. You know, his father played at the Ds. I think maybe his grandfather did. I'll have to double-check that one. But he's not captain at the moment. Gorn is, obviously. But he he does sort of play with that sort of, um, I I guess, spirit. He really, uh, you know, epitomises what it is to be, uh, you know, a D. And I, I think that could help. Um, obviously they need to bounce back after their first loss of the year, um, you know, in controversial circ- circumstances. And I think, in fact, the AFL have come out and said that that the uh, deliberate handball, or oh, sorry, the, the handball that uh, the Crow player, I think, Nick Murray did in, in the last 30 seconds of the game was actually deliberate. I don't know why they'd do that. I think you and I have spoken about that before. But, you know, they came out and contradicted the umpire's call. So, you know, obviously the Dees fans will be up in arms about that. But be- they've got blood um, in their mouths after that because they, they you know, that that, that leaves a, an awful taste in the mouth. So they want to come out and write and, and that wrong. That notwithstanding, my tip is the dogs in a close one at Marvel. The dogs have more talent. It goes deeper. The bond is a gun. I just think they're going all the way this year. They're looking probably better than they did in 2016. Um, look, here's a few other stats to back that up. The Western Bulldogs are currently first in disposal efficiency. First, uh, with inside 50 efficiency, Um, they're the first in points per game, uh, inside 50s per game, goal assists per game, clearances per game. They currently have the least oppositions points per game, least oppositions uh, tackles per game, least oppositions inside 50 per game, least oppositions clearances per game. So they're killing it offensively. They're using it perfectly and they're stopping the opposition teams from scoring and tackling as it seems. So, Yeah. Dogs for me,
1: Stevo. How about you? Yeah, dogs as well. I think Melbourne's going to drop two in a row. Um, it's not the end of the end of the world for them. They'll bounce back, but I don't think they'll beat the Bulldogs this week.
0: I'm looking forward to it. I'm really hoping there can be a big crowd there. So let's hope that uh, you know COVID gets under control and, and there's a big turnout for a, a highly anticipated game. All right, I'll, I'll throw over to you, Stevo. Who are you looking at?
1: Yeah, and just on that, like as far as I understand, right, even if even if they can't have a crowd there for whatever restrictions the Victorian government decides they need to bring in, they'll still play the game in front of the empty stadium, surely. So the game will go on, I'd imagine. Every other country in the world plays in front of empty stadiums right now. Yeah, the game will
0: go on. The game will go on. Like we had, um, wasn't it the showdown earlier between the Eagles and the Dockers when the Dockers got smashed, they played to an empty stadium? Or was it the Dockers and the Roos or something? I think there was a game at Optus Stadium when there was a Perth cluster and I think it was like three people for 72 hours or something like that. There was a lockdown and there was a game this year where they played in front of no crowd. So I I, I, I think that that will probably happen most likely. They won't cancel the game.
1: Yeah. Okay. Because yeah, the only thing that I could see being a problem would be if players need to cross state borders because of those variations, but these are both Victorian teams. So surely there'll be a game no matter what I, I hope um, yeah. anyway. Um, so the other game we're going to look at is, um, is on Saturday at the Gabba, Brisbane versus GWS, so fourth versus eighth, which curiously enough is exactly the same fixture we had last week when fourth place Brisbane played eighth place Richmond again at the Gabba. So 4v8 at the Gabba on a Saturday seems to be the thing for the month of May. Um, Brisbane will probably go in unchanged. They had nothing to report. The Giants, as if the injury list isn't bad enough, young um, young defender Sam Taylor, who's been playing really, really well, actually, is going to miss eight weeks, they're saying, with ankle surgery, which is a shame for him. And none of their um, none of their guns seem set to return yet. And I'm just going to give a short list of their injuries, just the bad ones, like the really top players. Caniglio, Davis, DeBoer, Green, Hogan, Kennedy. Like, that's six very, very good players that aren't at GWS right now because they're hurt. Um, They'll all start to come back within the next month or so after the bye. Uh, Recent form, Brisbane's won six in a row, they're doing really well. Um, The Giants, after losing their first three, have gone 5-2 since then, and they've only lost to the Bulldogs and the Tigers, which was by four points in that time, so looking pretty good. Um, So, two teams in some good form. As for key players, I, I always talk and wax lyric about the Giants' midfield, I love the Giants' midfield um kelly hopper ward woodfield taranto green who's now come into favoritism for the rising star young tom green from um from the giants so their midfield group and then brisbane and i am the same like i'm always talking about their forward line but in a different way i'm just waiting for the day that it clicks because the day that hipwood um danaher and charlie cameron all just fall into sync they're going to put up 15 goals between the three of them i think so that, that's be where i'll be looking in that one as to who's going to win um look, i think the giants are going to travel north with a bit of confidence they're playing some really good footy they've got some really really good players who are in form and the younger ones are are stepping up and playing key roles sam taylor who sadly is injured is a perfect example of that but they've got others that are doing good good work in um in the giants team and supporting all of those superstars that they've got and giving them the chance to shine um but Uh, Look, it's tempting to pick the upset, but I'm not going to. I think Brisbane's been up for a while. Giants look good versus West Coast. West Coast were pretty ordinary. I watched that game. Um, But Brisbane looked very good against Richmond. It's at the Gabba, so I'm tipping Brisbane.
0: Yeah, it's got to be the Lions, I think, for me as well, mate. And I'll I'll just add there, uh, Tom Green, what a legend. I'm flagging it again. He really needs – we need to poach him if we can. If we can do anything, like – I don't know. I just he's he's actually one of my current favourite players. I just think he's such a smart footy player, and uh, you know he he just adds so much to to that already very good uh, GWS midfield. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah, it's an interesting one. It's going to be a very interesting one, I think. Um, but yeah, I think for all your points you've raised, yeah, Lions for me as well, mate.
1: On Tom Green, actually, before we move on, on Tom Green this is just a sort of question I'm throwing out. Is it fair that a bloke like him who was already clearly established as an AFL quality footballer is eligible for the rising star in his second season as an AFL player?
0: Well, I guess by the rules of the,
1: of the
0: award or competition, you know, it's fine, but are you saying a player in his second year, second year shouldn't be eligible, or
1: regardless yeah, of age, or yeah, because like there's there's a couple like him, and I think um oh, there's been two or three others who have also been nominated a second time this year, and and to me it, it somehow takes a bit of the shine off what in my mind is like a rookie award for a genuine rookie. I don't see Tom Green as a rookie player this year. I see him as a bloke who played a good body of football last year and now he's starting to come into his own. So I, I don't know. It's it's like it's academic. It doesn't really matter. But yeah, I don't know. I like to see the rising star for, you know, for rookies.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm with you on that one for sure. Um, I totally agree because I, I had Tom Green as a rookie in a lot of my fantasy teams last year and he's in my a lot of my other teams this year as sort of like an established, like up-and-coming player. So it does sort of feel weird, but, you know, I guess it technically fits within the the guidelines. So, you know, mm, yeah. I don't really care, mate, as long yeah, as we I get him in red and white. That, we need, I just want him in that midfield with Millsy. That's what I want. I just anyway. want one of
1: our boys to win it. I want one of our well, – well, technically, having said that, Warner shouldn't be eligible either because he played two games last year, but maybe five games is fair and nine is two. I don't know. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Anyhow. I want one of our Yeah. to
0: get it. Yeah, hopefully Gordon and Campbell can come back and even McDonald could come back and uh, have a bit of an impact in the second half of the year. All right, mate, let's look at the rest of the tips for the round. So started off with first uh, uh, Bulldogs versus the Demons and we're both going the Bulldogs. Uh, game two is 16th place Magpies versus third place Cats at the MCG on Saturday afternoon. I'm going Cats. Yes, Cats. Game three is fourth place Lions versus eighth place Giants at the Gabba, as you've already introduced, both going Lions here. Um, Game four, we've got 14th place Saints versus 18th place Kangaroos at Marvel on Saturday Twilight. Jeez, I don't know. Saints, but not with much confidence.
1: I I hope the Saints win just because we've got them the week after. And if they come up against us on their home ground at at Marvel after having lost to the bottom team, they might come out fuller, full of energy and do a job on us. So I hope that they built North Melbourne and get a bit of confidence back and then we can pop their bubble a the week after.
0: Good strategic tip there, Steve. Oh, I like that. All right. Um, game five, we've got 15th place Suns versus 17th place Hawks at TIO in Darwin on Saturday night. Um, I'm going to pick the Suns, although I think it's going to be a hard game.
1: In Darwin? Okay, I didn't notice that. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so Hawthorne just looked terrible right now. I think, yeah, Suns. Suns don't look good either, to be honest. They're both looking pretty bad, but yeah. Um, I
0: think it'll be a scrap, but it should be be a good affair up there. Uh, Game six, we've got seventh-placed Eagles versus 11th-placed Bombers at Optus in Perth on Saturday night. Eagles?
1: Yep. If it was flipped and they were playing in Melbourne, I would tip... The Bombers, but it's in Perth, so West Coast.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, if the Bombers beat the Eagles away, then the Bombers are actually flag, playing. Flag favorites. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, game seven, we've got the ninth place Tigers who are out of the eighth. Ninth, I'll, I'll say that again ninth placed Tigers versus 13th place Crows at the MCG on Sunday, Arvo. Uh, the Tigers, even though the Crows did well against the Ds, it's got to be the Tigers.
1: Yeah, I wonder, can the Crows get up against a good team two weeks in a row? Probably not. Nah. Yeah, all right. I'll I'll tip Richmond as well.
0: Fair play. All right, game eight is Swans and Blues, and you and I are picking the trumpet. Uh, We're picking the Blues um, for reasons we've already stated. All right, game nine, last game of the round, we've got fifth-place Power versus 10th-place Dockers at Adelaide Oval in Adelaide on Sunday. twilight. I'm picking the Dockers. uh, Sorry, I'm picking the Power. And you're picking?
1: I'm going to pick the Dockers just because I, I thought they looked good. And I think that Fremantle are one of those, like, they're, they're a good team. And this is the shortest road trip for them to get across to Adelaide. Um, so, Fremantle, yeah, but with not a huge amount of confidence.
0: Yeah, fair enough. I think
1: power at home should get the job done.
0: You know, if it was power away, certainly the Dockers... They would, they would beat them, but they'd kick more behinds doing it. <laughs> yes, yeah, they would for sure. Yeah. Oh, well, we lost that one. We'll get them next time. All right. Well, Steve-O, um, if you've got nothing else to add, that will bring us to the end of this episode. So on behalf of the bevy, I'd like to say thank you to everyone who lis- who's listening. Uh, we look forward to you joining us next time. Make sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at a bevy of bloods for updates and announcements. Until then, up the bloods. And Khan, you swanese?